Thank you, Phil. Nice song. Nice job. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Job. Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. We uh, recently, on Wednesdays when I've been speaking, have been uh, going through the book of Job. And though we don't know for sure when Job lived, uh, we don't know for sure where the land of Uz was in which he lived. We do not know for sure who the human pen was who authored this book. We do know this. God inspired the book. God has preserved the words for the book. And they're there to glorify God and to help and to instruct us. Three weeks ago, when I spoke last on a Wednesday, we talked about a meeting in heaven. We talked about how the sons of God assemble in heaven to report to their creator. Uh, Satan reports in too. We talked about how God bragged on Job and asked a question of Satan to expose him wreaking havoc on the earth. Uh, the angels assembled uh, were exposed to it, and you and I, as we read the account of it, are exposed to that as well. And anybody who tries to say that Satan is in hell today, that they are mistaken. And we saw the depth of Satan's hatred for God and for anyone who believes and loves God. Because when Satan was given permission uh, to do so, uh, Satan uh, took all of Job's wealth. He killed hundreds of Job's employees. He killed all ten of Job's children. And from a human standpoint, this was certainly too much for anybody to bear. But God knew Job. He knew Job could take it. And God had a plan for Job uh, that was for Job's good and for God's glory in this uh, plan and all that he allowed Satan to do. Uh, we rejoiced that God never allows anyone to have anything that is actually too much for them to bear. We just made note of the fact that God is more interested in making us into better people than he is in making our lives easy. And though if we know anything about God at all, we know that he is loving and gracious. But let's just be honest. So far in our story, it seems like God is being cruel and that God is being unfair. Remember, the book of Job doesn't just answer the question, why do the righteous suffer? The book of Job is also teaching us that even the best from among all of mankind still need repentance and have places where they need to grow to be all our Creator hoped that we would be. Three weeks ago, we left off with what Satan had done to Job. In fact, Satan even orchestrated the timing of Job being informed of these things in such a manner that he learned about all these events just literally within moments to attempt to deliver a crushing blow. I wonder how Job will respond. I mean, all of us have seen abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ and His church for far less difficulty than this. What I've learned over the years is that people always do what they really want to do. If people really want to stop coming to church and stop doing ministry, they'll find a reason that makes sense to them. And if people want to continue to be true to the Lord and to His church, they'll find a reason to stay. The wise man said, if thou faint in the day of adversity, 
Thy strength is small. That's Proverbs 24.10. See the real depth of, our, of the strength of our faith. It is not measured or on display when all is well. But it is on display in the day of adversity. And Job was in that day. You and I don't get to decide what kind of events outside of our control happen in our life. But we do get to control how we respond to life's events. Remember, Satan had a plan, he had a purpose in what he did to Job and his family. He hated Job. His plan was to break Job and to publicly humiliate him and demonstrate to everyone that his faith wasn't real. But God had a plan. And God had a purpose in allowing everything that happened in Job's life. If you're able to stand tonight, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God. And Jay is in the standing competition. Wow, that was pretty good. I think you might have won. The title of my thought tonight is not Jay won the standing competition. The title of my thought tonight is in all this, Job sin not. In all this, Job sin not. Job chapter 1 verse 20. It says, then Job arose and he rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshiped. He said, naked came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Thank you, might be seated. Um, if you turn up a couple of pages to chapter 13, Job's philosophy of living his faith is pretty clear. In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, Job here says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. His philosophy of his faith, his philosophy of dealing with life's offense, events is simply this, even if God kill, kills me, I will trust God to the end. Now that's a pretty easy philosophy to state when all is well. But it's much different to embrace when you are facing the difficulties of life. When the difficulties are not just your difficulties, the difficulties are your family's difficulties, the difficulties hit you in every area of life. Now I'd hope tonight that your philosophy and mine would, as followers of Jesus, be like that. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And though I don't believe any of us will be ever tested to the degree that Job was, I do believe all of us will be tested to the degree that we're actually able to bear the test. By the way, though Job's faith was shaken, as everyone's would be, Job chose to maintain his faith in Jehovah as his God and worship. Look at verse 20. Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshiped. Now, tearing your mantle, the mantle was this cloth that they draped over their shoulders, and he tore that, and then he would have went inside, uh, got a knife or a razor, and he shaved his head. These were marks of deep grief and, and mourning. But even in this great personal grief and this great personal loss, it did not stop Job from worshiping his Creator. You know, one of the things that's amazing in this is if you've ever been through some deep valleys, 
one of the things that we find out about ourselves is sometimes it takes a while for us to get our thinking and our uh, let our faith affect us. Uh, sometimes days, sometimes weeks. But in the time it took Job to rip the piece of cloth that he wore on the top of his robe and to go inside and shave his head, he already had adjusted his attitude to such a degree that he fell down upon his knees and he reverently bowed to Jehovah, his creator. Uh, by the way, God is always worthy of our worship, regardless of how things are going for us. Uh, in times of despair, we don't worship God because we feel like it. We don't worship God because we see and understand what, we, uh, what is going on. We worship God because of faith, because we knew, know who God is, because we know what God has in the end of the events that are going on in our life. And Job, he wouldn't have understood at all what was going on, but by faith, he still worshiped God. Job's philosophy of life, then, it shows up in the depth of his knowledge of God and wisdom and true faith. It shows up in verse 21. Notice what he says after he worshiped. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By the way, that's a philosophy of life. Now, we think Job lived in the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, perhaps most likely during the times of Jacob, and that uh, is speculated because there is no reference to uh, the Mosaic law whatsoever, and Job handled his family in the same manner that the patriarchs, as sort of the spiritual head of the family, handled themselves. But in the time of the patriarchs, I mean, there was no written word of God, and the knowledge of God was passed on by other people of faith and God, as we see in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God gave them visions and dreams and even on occasion personally appeared. It was Christ, of course, uh, appearing pre-incarnate. And so even without the written word of God that we have today, this was Job's attitude. Job understood God. He, he understood life. He understood the place of things, stuff. And though Job was very rich, he understood that his riches were temporary and they could be taken away from him. It's interesting in Job's statement here, he used the personal name of God three times. Remember, whenever you read in your King James Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the personal name of God, uh, Jehovah. We see it three times there. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If we were to study this issue through the book of Job, though the personal name of God appears 32 uh, times in the book, none of the other men used God's personal name. Eliphaz or Bildad or Zophar or Elihu, they, they talked about the Lord, they, uh, L, capital L, small O-R-D, uh, Adonai. They, they talked about God, uh, but they didn't use the personal name of God when they talked about God or talked to Job. Job knew who God was. He knew God's name. I think it's very easy to speak about Job's philosophy. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And it's pretty easy to say that we understand that all of our land and wealth and 
savings are going to be left behind and to be treated as temporary. It's easy to say, but quite frankly, what I see is that most of us have a lot of trouble actually doing that. And what I see is that if we find it much more easy to value our lands and our wealth and our savings and the things of this life, even though we say we understand that they're temporary. In reality, our possessions should be treated as temporary, and living out our faith and service to Christ should be treated as eternal. But it's very easy to get these things backwards. But Job didn't do that. By the way, it's a wonderful thing to use any wealth uh, and means that God has given to us to uh, pursue our faith and to serve Christ. And we wouldn't be where we are at Bible Baptist Church if it weren't for a bunch of people doing that. But understand that Job, he understood everything he owned had been given to him by God rather than produced by his own intellect and hard work. Job knew that everything was taken away from him by God, though Satan was the thief and the robber who had his hand in the bag. Understand this philosophy of Job. It is the same philosophy that Jesus taught. Keep your hand there. Go up in your Bible to the New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And of course, when I say Matthew 6, your mind immediately goes to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus teaching his disciples uh, from a mountain. And Jesus taught the same thing about treasure. Uh, in fact, he taught it to Job. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I actually think that was one of our memory verses in Scotty's memory verse program that, uh, Lord willing, will start again at the beginning of, of the year. Uh, our heart follows whatever we choose in life as treasure. Go ahead, choose sports for your treasure, your heart will go to sports. Go ahead, choose uh, your yard, your job, you name, whatever it is. You choose to treasure uh, that, and your heart will go there. You choose to treasure the things of God. You choose to treasure the church. You choose to treasure uh, the work of Christ, and your heart will go there too. And we're taught by Jesus to have eternal treasure, focus on that, instead of temporary treasure. And Job, and you can go back there, uh, echoed that philosophy that he had learned from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how, how much do you treasure the things of this life? Please hear me. I'm not implying that things don't matter. There, there's nothing wrong with stuff in itself. There's nothing wrong with things in themselves. But there's a lot wrong when that's the focus of our life. There's a lot wrong when that's where we spend our heart and that's the basis on which we make decisions. I couldn't tell you how many people I've known over the last almost 40 years now as a believer who basically made almost all of their life spiritual decisions based on finances. That's not right. Will you honestly consider where your treasure is? Will you be honest about what's most important to you? And if you go back, from our earthly perspective, with everything that's happened to Job, remember, 
this would have happened probably over a, a couple of days, but Job didn't find, I mean, I mean nobody had cell phones. You, you know, you had to have a messenger come. And what happened over the course of a couple of days in many different locations, Satan orchestrated so that Job would find out about these boom and boom and boom. While the other first guy was speaking, bringing him bad news, the next guy shows up and brings him bad news. And while he's finishing, the next guy shows up and brings bad, bad news. From our perspective, this has been more than enough difficulty to demonstrate the depth of Job's faith. And in demonstration of the depth of his faith, his faith, verse 22, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He went from ten children on earth to zero. He went from being highly respected to mocked by everyone. He went from being the wealthiest man in the East to having over 800 dead employees and in poverty with hundreds of widows and children who now were out on the street because his business had failed. He'd kept his integrity, he'd kept his faith, he'd prioritized his life and things with an eternal perspective. He's kept himself from sinning against God when it had been very easy to lose his faith. But God isn't done. God knows Job's faith. God knows Job needs still some, to see some things in himself that he's been overlooking. And so the scene is now going to switch from Job on earth back to a second meeting in heaven. And in Job chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. It's how much time elapsed, I don't know. Days, weeks, months, probably short. Who knows? Maybe they were meeting in heaven on the seventh day of the week because in creation week, God hallowed the seventh day. Who knows? Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From walking, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Same thing he was doing before. Verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou... Consider my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's the same thing God said about him before. Notice God also here says, And is still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, <laughs> Ah, skin for skin. All that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. And so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. He took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all and he sat down among uh, the ashes. And as God again brags on Job in verse 3, uh, he points out that Satan had been wrong about Job. You remember Satan's accusation from chapter 1 in their first meeting, how that if God took away his money, that he, he would curse him to his face. Uh, Satan had been wrong. Uh, remember, Satan doesn't know the future with 100% certainty. He doesn't know a human heart with 100% certainty like God does. 
uh, he's been proven wrong now about Satan. Remember verse 11 of chapter 1? It says, but put forth thy, thine hand now and touch all that he hath. He'll curse thee to thy face. That didn't happen. See, Satan's accusation really boils down to this. Job's faith wasn't real and that God had purchased, bought Job's faith by making him wealthy. That's basically Satan's accusation. Job's faith is not real, God. The only reason he is the way he is is because you have given him so many things in life. That's Satan's accusation. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. See, Satan can't imagine anybody actually believing and loving God for who God is. Satan is so blinded through his hatred of God and anger at the way God has orchestrated uh, life and, he, and eternity that he is blinded by hatred and anger and, and he can't see straight. Uh, by the way, hatred and anger blind us too. And if you leave hatred in your heart and anger in your heart, though you will give yourself some reason to hold on to it, understand you will never see clearly. That's why James said the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You'll never do what's right in God's sight when you're responding out of anger. You see, Job had proven himself to himself to others and to Satan, that his faith was not because of his wealth or the family God had given him. Now in God's statement to Satan here, we get to better understand some of life's events as well as some other places uh, in the Bible. Uh, notice in the end of verse 3, God says, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. See, the word destroy, as it is used in the Bible, does not mean cease to exist. And so when you get into Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and Jesus says, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, I mean, understand that when someone says, well, that's just saying that you will cease to exist in hell, understand that that is a human definition of destroy. A biblical definition of destroy is his is different. Uh, Job didn't cease to exist. He and his circumstances had been drastically taken down and made much, much worse. And in that sense, he was destroyed. By the way, Genesis uses destroy the same way about the earth in the flood. People's souls do not cease to exist in hell but they are destroyed in that they have no future and that they're tormented in a way that radically changes them. In fact, Jesus described that as a worm. So why do you bother telling us stuff like that? Because a lot of books you're going to read and a lot of people you're going to listen to on the radio and on television and things, they're going to take Hebrew and Greek lexicons who got their definition for words from secular sources, and they're going to try to force them as definitions on Bible words. First and foremost, if you want to define words in the Bible, you need to look at how God used them. Destroy is just one of many examples uh, like that. Job was destroyed, but he did not cease to exist. Everything he owned and loved had been radically made worse. 
The other thing we learn from God's statement here, when God says, although, it says, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. I mean, understand, Satan did this. But God said, you moved me. Uh, keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to 2 Samuel 24. Say, Brother Wally, why do you point out this stuff? Because I get sick of people um, trying to make the Bible say things it doesn't say. And because people, in a lot of cases, they are not diligent students of the Bible. They're diligent readers of what other people say about the Bible. They end up in a lot of places they shouldn't end up. And there's a lot of people, they have an axe to grind against their creator. And so they will take places like this in 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. says, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. And so that very clearly says that God moved David to number Israel. If we were to study this story, what we would learn is David numbered Israel. And then God says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And David got to choose between three different judgments from God. And the one he chose was that there would be pestilence for three days. And 70,000 men of Israel died in that pestilence. And for people who have an axe to grind against God, they say, well, yeah, look at the kind of God he is. He moved David against them and then killed 70,000 of their people. No, it's just because you, you don't understand what's going on. I mean, what, when God moved David against them, what happened is God allowed Satan to tempt David just like he did, uh, he allowed Job to test Job. One of the things that will really help us to try to understand the Bible is to remember a simple thing. God did not write everything as simply as it could be communicated. Here would be my personal observation about the way the Bible is written. The Bible is written so that if you, from your heart, you want to know God and you want to obey God, you can know Him and learn to obey Him. But the Bible is also written that if you don't want to know God and don't want to obey God, you'll find enough excuses and reasons in there to not obey Him. Um, you may have a different observation about the Bible and how it's written, but that's how I think it's written. I mean, look at what everybody does to the Bible. And, and yet we gather together here and we study the Bible together as adults in our adult Bible classes and in church when we assemble. And, and you know what? When we talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. And you go back to our text, if you would, please. Be, because it's interesting, at the end of uh, the verse 3, notice God says what happened to him. It says, to destroy him without cause. There was nothing in Job's life that was worthy of this type of thing. Did you hear me? That doesn't mean Job was sinless. There was nothing in Job's life that God would say, hey, I brought that with cause in your life. So why does that matter? It's good to remember that because sometimes bad things happen in our own life. And when bad things happen in my life, the first thing I always do is say, so Lord, uh, is there something I need to see? Is there something I need to fix? There's something I'm doing wrong. There's something I'm not doing I should be doing. 
Are you trying to get my attention? And you know what? Sometimes if we're not, uh, don't understand this sort of stuff, we will just stop there and assume we did something. Do you know there are a lot of reasons God lets bad things happen in the lives of his children? Yes, some of it is discipline. But understand, some of it is not. Some of it is just God allowing things to happen to shape us into better people. It's not with cause in, in that we caused it by something we did or didn't do. It's with cause because God has a greater purpose in it. You know, sometimes God's purpose in what we're doing is actually about how other people will watch us face what we have. Do you realize a lot of what happened in Job's life is so that now for the last multiple thousands of years, we look at what happened in Job's life and it shapes how we respond to what happens in our life. It also is good to remember this was without cause, not just when bad things happen to us, but when bad things happen in the lives of other people. You know, sometimes we're pretty quick to think, well, maybe God will get their attention for that. Well, I'm sure that's the judgment of God. Uh, by the way, if you are very familiar with the book of Job, what we'll learn in the coming weeks, Lord willing, is that that's the same mistake Job's friends made. They thought they knew why all this bad stuff happened in Job's life, and they just were sure that all this bad stuff happened because Job wasn't what he seemed to be. When some brother or sister has something bad happen, I hope you never think or say, I wonder what they did to bring that on. I hope you never think or say, well, they must be a big hypocrite for something like that to happen. But Satan isn't content with the pain that he's already caused Job because the fact of the matter is, is Satan will hurt anyone as much as God will allow him to do. In verse 4 and 5, so Satan now speaks up. He says, uh, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. Notice even Satan is blaming what he's doing on God. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and flesh. He'll curse thee to thy face. By the way, he was wrong about that one other time. And if you know the rest of the story, he's wrong about it here too. But again, as we think about this, we rejoice that nothing gets in your life as a believer in Jesus that doesn't first flow through the loving hands of our Father. We have a Heavenly Father who knows our load limit, and He protects our load limit. Which means if it happens to you and if it happens to me as a sincere believer and follower of Jesus Christ, understand that there's a way you can take it and make it. And Satan still thinks he knows the future. He still thinks he knows Job's heart. You think about this. Some struggle in their faith when their possessions are affected. Some struggle in their faith if their family is affected. Some struggle in their faith if their health is affected. And understand, Satan would have been glad to take Job's life also just like he took the lives of Job's ten children, just like he took the lives of those hundreds of employees, if God would have let him. Satan hates human life. 
and he will take it whenever he is allowed to do so. But Satan only does what God allows him to do. In fact, he's actually obedient to God's command. In verse 6, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand to save his life. Do you know why he saved Job's life? God told him to. I'm glad this. I'm glad my life and the lives of those who are dearest to me, they're in God's hands, not Satan's. That's a great comfort. Hey, listen, every one of us standing here or sitting there, we, we wish we had control over how sick us or the people dear to us get or how long they live or how they die. We, we all wish that. I, I'm glad that that is not in Satan's hands. It's in God's hands. And I've heard people speculate that Job had elephantiasis, but the Bible says he had boils from head to toe in verses 7 and 8. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to his crown. He took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. If you've ever had a boil or don't even know what, it's, what it is, it is a, a pus-filled infection that usually starts in a hair follicle. They're, they're very painful. And the fluids that come out of them, they're very contagious. And I don't know why, but Job must have gotten some kind of relief sitting in the pile of ashes. Remember, they would have cooked and heated all their dwelling places with wood. And so if you've ever had a fireplace or done anything with uh, any place that's heated with wood, you constantly are taking out the ashes and you have a little ash pile outside the house. And I don't know if this was in the city dump. I don't know if this was outside of his house, uh, but he goes and sits in the ashes again. If you've ever been around ashes or been around uh, anything that used to burn, uh, I mean, you're just covered in this gray ash. And the places where it didn't fully burn, you know, you, you have black charcoal marks all o- over you. I, I want you to just picture Job. Remember, he was a man who was the wealthiest man in the East who would have been dressed as well as men could be dressed. To now, here he is, his head is shaved, maybe by this time he's got some stubble. His face and head are covered with boils. His arms are covered with boils, his hands are covered with boils, his back, his stomach, his legs, his feet. There's no place he can lay down and be comfortable. There's no way he can stand and be comfortable. There's no way he can sit and be comfortable. He's got a pot shirt, a piece of broken pottery, and he's scraping the gunk off of all this stuff and sitting there in the ashes. Can you not picture him with the stubble on his head with all these huge red oozing marks and black marks and gray dust all over him? There he is sitting. Now Job's wife is going to enter the picture in verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. You see, his wife spoke discouraging and hurtful words to him. She lost her faith in their trials. Notice I didn't say Job's trials. Their trials. You know, we easily forget that she also lost her wealth. She lost her social status. She lost her ten children. 
and now her husband loses his health and he lives in pain. Can you not see as a wife looking down at your husband in such a pitiful condition? By the way, a spouse suffers when their partner is suffering. And sometimes in this story, I think we forget that Job's wife, who remains unnamed in the Bible, is going through this trial right along with Job. By the way, her faith was strong enough to endure this trial or God would not have allowed it to happen in her family. And I think people always, when they read the Bible, I get a little weary of people being critical of good people making bad decisions when they know they've made so many bad decisions themselves. But they're very critical of Job's wife for saying this. Uh, And by the way, her saying this and discouraging Job in this low point of his life, understand that was Satan's plan in sparing her life. But understand that God had a plan in sparing her life too. See, God had a plan in sparing her life because if we know the rest of the story, God spared her life so that she could start the family again and have ten more children. And by the way, God also spared her life so that she could show to every woman everywhere what it means for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, because she stood by her man. No, I don't listen to that kind of music, but I think that's a song. Hey, listen, it ain't very easy to stand by the guy who's covered with boils, with no wealth, who's a mockery of the city, in the city ash heap, scraping the sores on his body. It's a lot tougher to stand by that man than it was to stand by the man with all the wealth. But she did. And God put her faith and commitment to her marriage on display. And Job, even after... Everything that's happened. He's going to take God's side when his wife is out of line. In verse 10, he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. You know what I've seen over the years? There's a lot of people who have blood that's thicker than truth. People who take the side of their family and friends when they know what's right in the situation. Job didn't take his wife's side. His wife's side. He didn't call her foolish. He said, you're speaking as a foolish woman. By the way, it's very different to call your stupid, your kids stupid and say that's a stupid thing to do. Very different to call your wife foolish and say that's a foolish thing to say. And Job, in all of this, he still showed his respect for his wife, he still had his integrity intact, he still valued his wife, but he was not taking his wife's side over God's side, even in all this. And just like we were earlier given some insight into the biblical meaning of the word destroy, we are here given some biblical insight into the meaning of the word evil. Job said, and shall we not receive evil? If you're somebody who thinks that evil in the Bible is always referring to Satan or unclean spirits, you have a non, or I should say, partially biblical definition of evil. 
word evil and sometimes in the Bible is used, it refers to things that are satanic or linked with an unclean spirit. Other times it's referring to catastrophic events like tornadoes and hurricanes and still others like here referring to big personal difficulties in your life. I wonder if that adds any meaning and insight to what Jesus meant when he said, when he taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Maybe that only partially has to do with Satan. But to the glory of God at a time when the grace of God is not as obvious as it is today, Job found grace to not sin with his mouth. Now you can go ahead and make much out of the fact that it doesn't say Job sinned not with his heart. But quite frankly, if he sinned in his heart, and you don't know whether he did or didn't, uh, I would say it's pretty good to come out of this whole thing at this point, sitting where he's sitting in his situation. Literally, his children are gone. His wife has told him to curse God and die. He's the mockery of the city. He's in complete pain and covered with boils. He has no wealth. For him to not sin with his mouth, with his lips, I'd say that's pretty good. I guess now Job's trials are finally over. He's kept from sinning with his lips. I mean, certainly God now is going to restore him and the test is over, right? I mean, Job's faith endured the loss of children, the scorn of his wife, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his health. Certainly, he's passed the test, right? But sometimes, the trials and temptations of Satan are much more subtle. But that is a subject for next time. You bow your head and close your eyes.